Today we get to talk about the empty tomb. Now, the word empty can have a positive connotation or it can have a negative connotation. If I'm going into the kitchen to prepare some food and the fridge is empty or my pantry is empty, it's like, oh, it's empty. It means one of the adults in this household is going to have to go to the store and buy some food, right? But if I go into the kitchen to prepare food, and as I'm preparing food, I open up the dishwasher, and surprisingly, it's empty, means one of my children has unloaded the dishwasher without me knowing. It's like, glory, hallelujah, the dishwasher is empty. If you're leaving for a trip, and you know you need to get ready, and you see an empty suitcase, oh, I got to get all the things together. I got to get packed up. But if you're coming back from a trip and you roll in your little, your suitcase and you look at it and it's full and you're like, you know what? Last time I went on a trip, it sat there for a week. Full. You know what? I'm just going to empty it out right now. And then you empty it out and you feel like like you just had a victory. I don't know if that ever happens to anyone else, Um, but it happens in our household. Or say you're on said trip and the gas tank is empty and you're reminded once again that you live in um, one of the only three states in all the 50 states that gas prices are above the $5 mark. You're like, oh, I have to go fill up with gas. Empty can be positive or negative depending on the context. And today we get to talk about an empty tomb. And friends, that is spectacular, that the tomb is empty. Last week, we talked about Jesus's death, and we spoke a little bit on on why Jesus had to die on the cross, that Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for humanity, that Jesus took our shame on the cross, and that God adopted us into God's family and gave us God's name and chose us to be God's children that Jesus gave his life as a ransom, he got, and Jesus redeemed us, that Jesus conquered sin and evil on the cross, that Jesus is the new Adam, the new human who lived in perfect covenant relationship with God, fulfilling both sides of covenant. And this week, we get to talk about what the significance is of the empty tomb. So let's pick up in John where we left off last week. And that's John chapter 19, starting in verse 38. Later, Joseph Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At that place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. 
because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So enter two new characters, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but John, the author, specifies that he was a secret disciple because he was afraid of the Jewish leaders. In Mark, we find out a few more details about Joseph. He was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin. He was very wealthy, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. I like that phrase. He was waiting for the kingdom of God. And Luke specifies that he was a good and upright man who had not consented to the religious leader's decision and action to have Jesus killed. And then you have Nicodemus. Nicodemus was also a religious leader. He was a Pharisee, and he had come to Jesus secretly. We read about this in John, John 3. And so he, was, he didn't want others to know. He had come to Jesus at night. And yet in John 7, he advocated for, for, for uh, the, same, uh, the Pharisees to listen to Jesus before condemning him. And here we see him purchase all the proper spices and linen for a proper burial. These two men were both very wealthy and very influential in society. And both these men were followers of Jesus and in the past had done so secretly because they were afraid of the attention and what that would, the consequences that that would bring about in their lives. And yet here at Jesus' death, They approach boldly. Here, the way they're engaging changes. They use their influence to ensure that Jesus has a proper burial. And also, John adding this in this account, uh, the description of these two men adds to the credibility of his account. Typically, when criminals were crucified um, for, for sedition, for insurrection, they were not given a proper burial. In fact, typically they were left on the cross as a gruesome warning to others, don't do what these um, people had done. But Joseph goes boldly to Pilate, and he asks Pilate for Jesus's body, and Pilate agrees It was the day of preparation, meaning the day before the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, the Jews weren't um, supposed to do any work. And so, as you can imagine, the Friday before the Sabbath, they had to do a bunch of things to get all the things ready so that they could rest on the Sabbath. And so it was the day of preparation. And so Joseph and Nicodemus moved quickly to make sure Jesus' body was laid in the tomb before the sun went down. In Matthew and Luke, there's additional details there that that they rolled the stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and that there were women there watching, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And these women went home and they prepared additional spices uh, to complete the process and perfumes, and then they rested on the Sabbath. And so then the story will pick up after the Sabbath. And it doesn't tell us anything about that day, But I wonder what that day was like for them. I wonder how quiet it was, how dark it was. If they spent the day crying, grieving, waiting, trying to make sense of what had happened, this man that they had followed, they believed was the Messiah, the Son of God, is now dead. John chapter 20. 
The story continues. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. And so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And so as the story continues, these women who've been waiting with the prepared spices and perfume, waiting for the Sabbath to be over. Once it's over, they go back to the tomb and they find the stone has been rolled away. And it was commonplace for tombs to be robbed at that time. And so they assumed, oh, someone has robbed the tomb. His body is not there. So they told Peter and John. And both ran to the tomb and found the linen lying there without the body of Jesus. Verse 8 is interesting to me. When the other disciple who'd reached the tomb first also went inside, he saw and he believed. He saw and he believed. John knew that something miraculous had happened. John believed that something miraculous had happened, that the tomb was empty, and that Jesus was somehow no longer dead. John will later write in in this chapter the purpose for his account of Jesus' life and death and resurrection You'll write in verse 31 that, that he, this whole account of the, all the recorded miracles are in here so that people, the readers, will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Jesus, people will have life by the power of his name. So John left believing. Peter, on the other hand, as we're told in Luke, went away wondering what had happened, like what is going on, trying to fit the pieces together. And then verse 9, both of them, it refers to both Peter and John, both of them went away still not understanding from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So even though John believed something miraculous had happened, the, the full picture wasn't there yet. Like what is God doing here. Fast forward, and Jesus would spend time with his disciples for 40 days after his resurrection. He would teach, and he would preach, and he would eat meals with them, and then he would ascend into heaven, and the Holy Spirit would come down at Pentecost as promised. 
And a large crowd would gather to, to see what was going on. And Peter, who walked away unsure of what was going on, Peter would stand up and explain that Jesus' resurrection was prophesied in the scriptures. He would explain that Jesus was sent by God to do miraculous things, that it was God's plan for him to be crucified crucified and raised from the dead, and he would quote Psalm 16. Let's read in Acts, part of Peter's sermon there, his, his speech to this large crowd, starting in verse 25. But God raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I, and this is Peter speaking, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Peter would come to understand that this was part of God's big overarching plan, that Jesus is the Messiah, just like he said, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the forever king that was prophesied from the line of David, and that God raised Jesus from the dead. So as we're here today looking at these passages I want to ask this question. So what is the significance of the empty tomb for us? What is the significance of the resurrection? Well, Jesus offers life to humanity through his death and through his resurrection. Jesus offers life through his resurrection. In his resurrection, Jesus is beginning something brand new. The kingdom of God ushered in that is characterized by life, that is characterized by wholeness and hope, that is characterized by relationship with God. And because Jesus was resurrected, we also can be resurrected, both here and now and for all of eternity. Romans chapter 6, it's a passage we often go to when we, when we speak of baptism. In the waters of baptism, we participate in Jesus' death as we go down and then we come back up. Romans chapter 6 verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, 
we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. If we align with ourselves, with Jesus, we participate in his death and we will be united with him in his resurrection. First Peter 1, 3, Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Peter will write later, this resurrection is a big deal. Praise God for this resurrection because through the resurrection, we have new life with a living hope for today and also a living hope for all of eternity. Ephesians 2, 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We have been made alive in Christ, that life-giving resurrection, made alive in Christ and saved by God's grace and God's mercy. I love the line that we might see um, that in order that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. It's like nothing else that we encounter in his kindness that he shows us through Jesus. We have been saved by Jesus. And this is in this age and also in the age to come. And so you'll, you'll hear the language of now and not yet, that we are saved and also we are in the process of being saved because it's settled, it's final. We are saved, but there's also more to come. It hasn't come to full fruition yet because when it does, there will be a new heaven and a new earth and all will be made new and whole. And right now, We're not all completely whole yet, right? Our world is a broken place still. But what Jesus did on the cross and and then the resurrection finished the job, like finished it. We have new life through Jesus's resurrection. So what is the significance of the empty tomb? That Jesus is victorious over sin and death and is inviting us into a resurrected life. Is inviting us into living right here and now in a resurrected life, a new way. Second Corinthians talks about if anyone is in new Christ, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, that the old has gone. And the new has come. This resurrected life in Jesus means we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we are walking with the Holy Spirit. 
what a beautiful invitation that is to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God within us and around us. God right here doing life with us, us doing life with God. A resurrected life looks like continually turning to God, listening, surrendering to God, following God's leading. A resurrected life in the here and now, like today, it also means that in the safety of God's never-ending love, we are invited to be honest about our sin, that we are invited to be honest about the parts of us that are unlike Jesus, that have not been transformed yet, and to repent of those parts and to turn towards God. In our resurrected life, we're invited to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, open ourselves up to God and say, yes, God, do your amazing work in me. Produce in me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In Vine Kids today, they're starting a new unit on the fruits of the Spirit. So today, I think they're talking about love, the first one. These are the things that the Holy Spirit is producing in us. So this resurrected life looks like we are being made new, a new creation. It also means that we are taking an active part in the kingdom of God in our homes and in our community. That we are choosing to live as Jesus lives, with God's mission and God's purposes at the forefront of our minds, to orient ourselves around the work that God is doing, and that is to heal and to restore the communities around us, to bring about his love and reconciliation. Being a part of the kingdom of God means we intentionally choose to love the people around us, And that includes the people that we find hard to love, be they in our homes or be they in our communities or in the world. This resurrected life is a life of hope, is a life in which we are invited to receive God's love and to live it out. I was reminded today, um, not today, this week, I was reminded um, in a particularly low moment when I was pretty frustrated uh, with myself that God hadn't changed the parts of me that I wanted God to change. And and God hadn't done that work yet. And oh, I'm having the same problems that I've had in the past. And I've already learned this lesson. Why am I having to learn it again? And I was reminded in that moment that as we open ourselves up and receive God's love, that God's love is always working, that the Spirit of God is always working, and that God is patient. God is patient with me. God is patient with us. The time is a little bit different to God than it is to us, but that God is doing a good work that God is faithful to complete his work. So this resurrected life is a life of hope, and we're invited to receive God's love and allow God's love to permeate every nook and cranny of our souls and of our lives. 
We are invited to walk in relationship with God and to participate in God's mission of bringing about healing and wholeness and, and to be a part of God making everything new, including ourselves. This is what God is doing. God is ushering in his kingdom. I don't know if this is um, pretty new to you or if you've heard this a whole lot, but I don't think we can hear it enough that God is inviting us to be known and loved, and God is inviting us to know him and to love him. Wherever you're at on your journey, whether you're just beginning to explore who Jesus is and maybe you're here considering baptism and considering making a commitment to Jesus in that way, or maybe you're being nudged today to open up a little bit more to the Holy Spirit and to the work of God in your life. But know this, we are invited to live in a resurrected way, a resurrected life that is wholly committed to God and God's purposes. Let's pray. Creator God, we thank you. We thank you for your love and for your grace. We thank you for your relentless pursuit of humanity. You do not give up on us, but rather you love us and you draw us in. Jesus, we thank you for your selfless sacrifice on the cross, the atoning sacrifice that takes away our shame and cleanses us from sin and invites us into new life. We thank you, especially today as we consider the empty tomb. We thank you for your resurrection, that you offer new life. Help us to embrace this new life. Help us to embrace this resurrected life. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us um, to, to be molded by you and to transform. Lord, we ask that you would just transform us, that you would guide us, that you would help us to see what you are doing, that we might be able to join you in whatever way that you are calling us. Lord, we thank you that you are always with us. Lord, we thank you that you are mighty and powerful. And no matter where we've been or where we're at now, how, how great sin's grip is on us, Lord, that you took care of it on the cross. And then in your resurrection, you offer us a new life, a new living hope. So, Lord, we thank you, and we pray that you would continue to create us anew, that we might be wholly committed to you and be transformed by you. May your love shine through us. Lord, may we be able to receive your love fully so that it can shine through us fully. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.